Hey everybody, as you may know, you are listening to Smart Guy, Dumb Guy, a podcast. I'm Christian Serge, and with us, as always, our co-host, Johnny Morrison, otherwise known as... You know, I wrote this in the notes, and I just didn't fill it in. <laughs> you just say, known as ellipses, dot, <laughs> dot, 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 which is true. A, I don't think that's, a, that's, that's just true sometimes. I don't know what I'm known as. <laughs> hey everybody. Each week, and now for the next 23 minutes or so, we're going to have a conversation about culture, current events, and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. Thanks for listening. It's good to see you, Johnny. It's good to see you too, man. Yeah. Gonna, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I saw you on Zoom, but it's always good to see your face. Yeah, it is. You know, today I downloaded this app that lets you know if you are infected with coronavirus. It's like really? the future is here now. How does it know that? Well, evidently, it's a California app, so thank you, California. Sometimes people are like, California sucks, but hey, I now have an app that I can carry on my phone with me, and it alerts me if I've been infected or been close to someone mm. who has been infected with COVID. So it's like a contract tracing app that lets you know if you've come into contact with COVID-19. Well, when you say it like that, it's not as cool. Like, I have an app that tells me if I've been in, almost infected with COVID. Almost infected. That's, the, that's an important <laughs> word to preface the statement with. Because when you first said it, I was like, how does it, is it is there like a device that you plug in that like reads your saliva? It's like, that's crazy. No, it's just, it's just like a fun tracking app. It is. Evidently, it, it has some kind of Bluetooth power and it... Essentially, when you walk around or move around in your movements, if somebody else has the app, this is the only hang up. Everybody has to have the app. Yeah. And if you walk around, it shows you the proximity that you've been in, you know, in other different phones. And then if somebody who has that app says, hey, I got COVID, then it sends out messages and says, hey, you've you've been in contact with somebody who has COVID. So, I mean, as a bit of a conspiracy theory buff, though, does that not worry you to have a government tracking app in your... That you, I mean, I know your phone can track you, but now you've just like willfully signed up for the government to track you around. I feel like that would violate something in Christian's spirit, you know? You know what? It does. And so I deleted it. I think it's a complete, okay. I think it is complete uh, little brother, big brother, big friend, <laughs> whatever, like whoever it is, they should not be tracking us. Like okay. That. I don't. <laughs> okay. So I just want to be clear. That's the Christian I know. I just think it's kind of cool though. It's like the future of like, you know, your phone, your little device. It's like Star Trek's come to life. It's like you have been, you know, you've been in contact with somebody who's been infected. It almost feels like a video game. And I don't know if that's what they're trying to do, but that's what it feels like. It's the Pokemon Go of, of tracking. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden we're all walking around. Hey, like, you, you've been in contact with I'm you. Like, and I catch some coronavirus. <laughs> People running on the freeway. It's coronavirus is over there. <laughs> what a weird trend that was. During that trend, uh, more families out spending time with each other, yep. laughing and playing and I don't know, I was conflicted, but I also felt like it was, there was some good parts to that. So yeah, oh, totally. I mean, I played for a second and I remember, I remember there was a, there was a moment where a group of us, like a group of friends, we're all friends, but it was like 30 of us had all decided that what we were going to do instead of other things that we would normally do, we were going to go to a park and, and play this stupid game. And I was like, what a <laughs> wild thing that we're all doing. Like all 30 of us went to this park, spread out, playing the phone game. Yep. You know? So how did we how did we stop playing Pokemon? How were we cured from that app? That's a good question. I just feel like people just stopped caring. It was like fun, fun, fun. 
not fun anymore. Huh. Kind of like coronavirus. It's just not <laughs> fun anymore. That's true. In the beginning, you know, it was fresh and hip, and we all loved it. We liked staying at home. But now, it's no more fun. I have a question for you. Are you going to get a vaccine when it comes out? That's such a good question. I was talking to my wife about this earlier today, because neither of us are anti-vaxxers. We're both strong pro vaccination, but it's kind of hard not to be a little fearful of the vaccine and skeptical of the vaccine, uh, you know, personally. However, I was, I was reading and, uh, listening to the daily on the vaccine today on, on both the Pfizer one that is now being, you know, actually done in Europe and that America has about a hundred million copies of. And then the later one, the Moderna one, they both do have pretty amazing, um, like testing results so far. I mean, you're starting to see yeah. some allergic reactions. Yeah. You're seeing some things, but for the most yeah. part, they have pretty amazing um, test results. Yeah, I have a friend. He's one of my favorite uh, guys, and he listens to the show. He, we call him Tom.com, and he's a big fan of you, Johnny, actually. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> he was telling me all about the Pfizer and the Moderna and the different uh, methods in which they create these vaccines. I think it's really interesting. The and I'm going to slaughter this, I know I am, but the Adeno method, a demo method, is the one that Pfizer has taken. And mm. Pfizer, this is an old method where they take the virus and they pull out a protein of it, and so it looks almost like the virus. The way Moderna is doing it and Oxford is doing it is this new method where they essentially take the actual spear of COVID and they strip away uh, the rest of the virus. So it's just that spear or that protein. Hmm. And then that protein supposedly lasts longer, but because it's synthesized or something, there's, uh, it's a little more scary or it's a little less tested than these tried and true vaccines. But then some people might say, oh, well, those tried and true vaccines have caused autism and all kinds of horrible things. Speak to anybody who's been in the uh, services, the U.S. services, like, yeah, they, we've been shot up with all kinds of stuff and definitely uh, I'm glowing. My right arm is going to fall off or like they shot us with all kinds of stuff. But these tried and true vaccines, that's one method. The Moderna and Oxford, it's a new method. So I think there's some options there. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Do you think, so America's in a, in a weird spot right now, right? Because Pfizer, in the Warp Speed program that Trump did, which was like, how do we speed up the vaccination process? Mm. They gave a bunch of money to six different companies, all doing different kind of like vaccine technologies. Now, Pfizer chose not to receive the money because they wanted to self-fund it so they wouldn't have government overreach. But then they offered early in the testing results America to have a hundred million copies, which America took and then came around later and offered America to buy even more, which America refused. And so now that the vaccine is like moving into production, Europe has an order of 200 million. We have an order of a hundred million, but other countries are like before us now in getting additional copies of the vaccine because of decisions that we made uh, in part because we had funded also Oxford, Moderna, and I was listening to some journalists criticize the Trump administration for it today. And I was wondering if, if, if what, you, what you thought about that, if that is a fair criticism that we should have purchased a hundred million more of the Pfizer vaccine when the test results were early and we were still waiting for all the other vaccination technologies to kind of like fully roll out like Moderna's. Do you think that was a mistake? Do you think it was a wise decision to wait? Because Moderna in some ways is a better vaccine because it can be easily stored and transported. Or do you think it was neither just kind of like a, a neither decision? Mm. 
Well, I don't particularly view Trump as a wise person. And some of the sure. listeners might. <laughs> sure. It may, it may not have been Trump either. It may have been like Alex Azar, the um, chair of the Health and Human Services Department or something. It could have been someone else who made the decision. I feel like that um, the last four years have been a big gamble by a lot of people. And a lot of people who have been brought on who haven't had experience in this kind of um, atmosphere. And so I, I feel like that has a lot to do with why we didn't purchase mm. that. But I haven't really read the article, so I don't know. Um, it just feels more like a gamble to me. If you want to ask the dumb guy, like them guys, like um, we had the money, we have a sovereign currency. We could have bought as many as we want. Uh, we probably should have doubled down on Pfizer because Pfizer is one of the big pharma companies that uh, we know is going to do it regardless. They have the money to do it. So why wouldn't mm -hmm. we buy more? But yeah, I don't know. That's, yeah, that's, that's my opinion. I, yeah, I, th I don't know that there's any right answer to that question. It's just an interesting dilemma, right? Like we didn't know Pfizer was going to be the most successful and, and the Moderna will develop and hit pretty close to the same time the Pfizer one is showing mm. similar results, but it's easier to transport and store. And so I think you could say there is some wisdom in saying, actually, let's only invest so much money in the Pfizer one because the Moderna one's going to be easier to distribute at long term. But I, I don't know. It feels like I don't, I don't, I just don't know if it was a fair moment of criticism or not. Cause like you're going to take a gamble no matter what. Right. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, like, I feel like Alex was like, Hmm, should we buy a hundred million, uh, vax, a uh, hundred million more vaccines? I'm going to go get my, uh, lottery ticket at seven 11 or should I go to Phillips 66? You yeah, know, I feel that's like, exactly right. like, like there was just kind of a little bit of, um, irony there or yep. a little bit of the idea of, I don't know, should we, or should we not? So. Yep. Totally. Totally. And you're probably right to say what you said earlier, which is like, we probably should have just bought tickets at both. Um, but it is tricky. It is. A, I don't know that it's like so easily criticized. Oh, that's such the orange County way. We'll buy tickets at both and <laughs> only choose to go to one and not sell the other tickets. Oh my gosh. That's funny. Well, uh, speaking of irony, what are we talking about today? Something about pastors and Hillsong. And I'm a huge Hillsong fan. By the way, before uh, you start, I was one of Hillsong's top 5% listeners. And yes, I'm bragging about that. Wow. Hot damn, Christian. Um, <laughs> I, just, I'm not, I don't even know what to I'm say not, to that. I'm not proud of that. That's <laughs> amazing. Um, so... I know we talked about religion last week and I try not to talk about religion, you know, every week, but it felt like an important to talk about this issue. So Hillsong, New York slash Hillsong East coast, which I think they refer to as Hillsong East was founded and started and pastored by, um, this guy named Carl Lentz and Carl Lentz had kind of blown up in the United States as a celebrity pastor, mainly because he was hanging out with Justin Bieber. And when Justin Bieber kind of like recommitted his life to Jesus right before he settled down and got married, you'd see him hanging out with Carl Lentz all the time. And Carl Lentz would start showing up on television shows. He was in like people's magazine. Um, he was in like all these things, right? Like showing up in all these different places, super cool, quote unquote. Hey, he wears uh, the right shoes and has the long worship leader pastor shirt and leather jackets. Yep. Yeah. 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 I, what is the article that I'm going to share in this is from the spectator. The person who described the jacket was so funny. Uh, what did she, <laughs> what did the writer say? The writer said, um, Oh, called them midlife crisis jackets. For sure. Which I thought that was amazing. Um, I have, I have three of those. <laughs> um, that's probably true. Uh, I love that. But yeah, so like he, you know, he blows up, gets very, very famous. And then, um, as is kind of like the common story, not just recently in all of evangelicalism, the common story is the celebrity pastor has an affair. Um, 
and he has an affair. Uh, he has multiple affairs. It actually comes out. And in the affairs, there's new revelations about his leadership and about it being poor and about it being like harsh and about him being like just, you know, like a bad boss and using power in irresponsible kinds of ways. Um, and, uh, it, you know, I don't, I don't know what the question is so much in this moment, but like we also just saw this recently on the other side of the spectrum with Jerry Falwell Jr., who was the chancellor of Liberty University, an early Trump supporter, a very powerful evangelical, but on the very conservative side, who um, had all these photos of him, like with his like pants down with women, um, mm. like in weird ways. And then what came out is that he, it wasn't actually him having an affair, but it was his wife having an affair with their business partner and Jerry Falwell Jr. liked to watch, um, which is his own kind of strange thing. But, yeah. I, but I, the question, I guess, is this: like one. Um, why does this happen? Which I know there's a probably a myriad of good answers to. Why does this continue to happen to Christian leaders specifically? And do you have any thoughts about what, what could change it? Like what needs to happen to change the culture of Christian leadership and move us in a direction of like actual health? Because we have such a long history of powerful men abusing their power and specifically in sexual ways within mm-hmm. the church. That's a great question. Uh, I think we ask this question all the time. It happens all the time. It happened when I was, I had a, a leader in the church that I was in when I was about eight years old. And one of the leaders, uh, you know, had an affair and was excommunicated from the church. I think it's a plain and simple answer is power corrupts. Mm-hmm. And when you take something uh, and point, you take something like the church or, uh, like this pastor, and you make it all about yourself and the things you wear and the bells and the whistles and the lights, it does entertain. And so if you're not, if you don't have the message, you can certainly entertain. And then like, you know, back in, uh, you know, the early uh, 2000s, I was on tour with a little band um, called Gigland and we were doing this college uh, radio tour where you would go uh, and uh, play at the college radio station and play a gig that night and then get on the road and do it again mm-hmm. and do it again and do it again and, and do like, we did like, I don't know, like 81 stops mm. in like five months. And uh, some people like to call it the warp tour before the warp tour. Sometimes I like to call it that. But because <laughs> it was right before the warp tour, but it's that someone is that some people like to that someone Christian is it Christian likes is to me. call it that, and that that's about me. it. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. But the, a lot of those stops became some of the stops uh, when the warp tour was first starting uh, to be popular. But that's not the point. The point is that I had people around me. The band had people around me that just at every moment said, "Oh, you're so cool. Oh, you are so important." Oh, let me get this for you. Let me do mm. that for you. Let me do this for you. People started doing things for us, you know, uh, giving me fresh socks and uh, shoes and clothes and food and guitars and 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 uh, just anything and everything. And so you soon you start to believe it. Mm-hmm. You start to believe that you're special, that you're better, that the rules don't apply to you. And then I think, you know, come on, um, you know, as men, we. I'm probably gonna get in trouble for this, but right, the evolution of men has been a hunter, a masculine guy that that would be, you know, that wants to take over, hunt and gather and claim things for himself. And he's a very sexual uh, beast. And yeah, there you go. You have girls falling all over you and you 
walk that path and you go down that path. Hmm. That does, that's um, not a very complicated, but it was simple. <clears throat> Power yeah. corrupts. Yeah, I think that's true. The masculine stuff, I think we're actually going to talk about in a bit. So I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to leave that sitting there. <laughs> and I just want everybody to know who's listening. We're going to come to that and we'll get into it. Um, I, I agree with what you're saying, though, that power corrupts. And then I think you said this as well, like you make something all about yourself and not even just about you as a person, but also about the role you fulfill. Like you're the, you know, in this church, you're the lead pastor. Yeah. And so then the whole structure revolves around your role as well, which means that you're the central linchpin of the organization. And so it's actually very difficult to hold you accountable because you're the thing that actually holds the whole organization accountable. The buck, it, it's built so that the buck stops with you at the end of the day, not mm. even really a board. And you might actually have a board, but most likely you're on the board. Uh, so you're the chair of the board. So you're the, you have the most authority in that space as well. And you're the interpreter of actions between staff and board. So you get to carry the narrative of what you did in this space to these other spaces. So you always have the most power. It always is organized around you and there's nothing to hold you accountable and there's nothing to call you into mutuality, hmm. you know, like shared power with other people, which is what you need to ground celebrity back into real life at some level. Yeah, there's a book that I haven't read that I've only read through people reading me pages of it and saying, you should hear this. So <laughs> it's called Letters to the Church. It's something I probably should read, but it talks about when uh, the focus of the church is just bells and whistles and mm. lights, and it becomes more of entertainment, and uh, you, you essentially corruption prevails, and then it just doesn't become uh, a, of substance. And people, it just doesn't feel or feed people, sorry, it doesn't feed people and it, bec it becomes this very shallow experience. Is that, is Letters to the Church, is that Francis Chan's book? I, I have no idea. It's, it's, <laughs> well, somebody just, can fact check us later. And I've heard you talk about that too. Like the, the Christian church is failing us by, uh, you know, making uh, the bells and whistles the part, part of, like mm -hmm. too big of a part, a part of what our experience is. Lead singer of Skillet, he said this. John Cooper himself. Yes. He said, my conclusion for the church, all of us Christians, we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or, quote, relevant people, the most influential people in Christendom. Christendom. I've been saying this for 20 years, and it seems probably quite judgmental to some of my peers that we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers as our source of truth or young people, that kind of thing. So he goes on to talk about... Um, we have a church culture that learns from a celebrity culture yeah. rather than a culture of getting together as people. And I think this could be uh, a really good thought for just people in general. Instead of learning from our celebrities, let's get together with our neighbors. Let's get together with mm -hmm. our small groups. Let's learn from each other mm -hmm. and, and create empathy within that circle rather than yeah. this weird bubble of, of pastors cheating on their wives. Yeah, I, that's so true. There is... Um like when it comes to how you think about the the lead pastor or really any senior leader in any kind of organization, but churches are, are particularly susceptible to it. If that person is both a celebrity and an expert, then they get to be the dispenser of truth and they're the source of authority. Mm -hmm. And sure the Bible is the source of authority and Christian tradition is the source of authority, but who is the person who holds all of that and interprets that for the community? And it's the senior pastor or the teaching pastor or the worship leader or whatever. But I don't, that's not what the, the story of Jesus even says, which says that we all are 
equally connected to this thing that's happening, whether that's the spirit or the tradition or the church, and that we've all been invested with authority. And so authority actually comes from the community, not from this transcendent alien person over the community. And so my job even as a lead pastor, which I'm a co-lead pastor, I'm not a senior lead because we believe this so deeply at Missio. My job is to, I think, play a bit of a catalytic role in a community but I'm not the source of authority. The community is the source of authority and the community is discerning and the community gets to hold me accountable and the community gets to decide even what the, like the direction and movement of a community is because we're all in this, we're all in this together. You mean, you mean just men don't lead churches anymore? Just like white men, masculine white men? It is, you know, the, what, that's a good segue and it is the same conversation. It is, yeah, 100% right. I want to touch on this article really quick. Uh, in Unheard, there's an article called Just How Toxic is the Masculine Mystique? And this article is a really interesting one, and I'm sure it's very controversial because in this article, it talks about a book that's being written or that has been written about the idea of the real man has been lost. And when you think about it, you're like, oh, you're just misogynistic or you're just, you know, the gruff bearded man who, um, you know, is tough, takes out the trash, believes in clearly uh, identified gender roles, and is also the guy who believes that he can open the door for his, uh, his woman. And even that word, right, is very like his woman. Mm-hmm. So they go through this picture of a real man being maybe what you would not consider a real man today, but what a real man he thinks should be, which is a man who, before he goes out to find uh, a, a partner in life, that he abstains from sex for 12 months, that he gets married before he's uh, 35, because he believes that 35 is middle age, that he um, wears uh, trousers up to his belly button, that he is polite, that he is masculine, that he is tough, but that he is tough as far as a real man that he seeks deeper truths Mm -hmm. now contrast that to this story movie called lost in translation opening shot is scarlett johansson laying on a bed she's in a tank top she uh she's in panties and her legs are just she's laying on her side and the shot just hangs on there while the opening uh, music plays and then it says lost in translation director of Lost in Translation happens to be Sofia Coppola, a woman who is known for her her feminism and for what I would call her very skillful storytelling in imagery. She's like a master of literature in imagery. Mm. And so uh, a man might gaze upon that and go, wow, that that is so hot. Scarlett Johansson in panties is so hot. And then uh, a feminist group would look at that and might say, um, there, she is celebrating her, her femininity. Look, she's got she's wearing all yellow panties and they cover everything. And she um, is obviously having some kind of depressed moment. So I feel like that in this age, especially in the last 10 years with the Me Too movement, with um, all this focus on the creeps and the really terrible masculine men, that men have now been asked to... Uh, emasculate is that the right word yeah like, that is a yeah like be be less of a like be more sensitive and 
if you're going to wear a beard, you have to wear Patagonia and you have to be uber sensitive and you have to be a singer and write songs and smell flowers and enjoy that. You can't just drink your coffee with spit and, uh, you know, go up in the mountains and take yodeling classes. You know, like um, the question I have is, has masculinity changed so drastically in the past 10 years? And if you believe that, why? And what does it really mean to be a man in today's landscape? Hmm. Well, I do not think that masculinity has changed in the last 10 years. I think that the myth of masculinity that we inherited from 500 years ago, which I think is like, I think everything that this dude in the Unheard article um, wrote about, because he's writing about that book. I think that book is a fiction. The, the, the vision of masculinity that he presents in that book. And it's the same thing I think is true of Jordan Peterson, who is famous for writing like a, a books about mass about men and what it means to be a man. He's a Jungian philosopher and psychologist. And same with this article references, um, Carl Jung's psychology that has so much to do with like the archetypal masculinity. All of it is a myth invented 500 years ago in the enlightenment. Uh, and none of it is, I don't think anything about what it means to be a man has necessarily changed in the last 10 years. What I think has happened is that the lie of that myth, which I know these are big statements, the lie of that myth is unraveling because it's being challenged by things like Me Too. And that means that all of us who bought into the myth, who were raised in the myth, who were um, enculturated in the myth, are having to ask ourselves deep questions as other traditions and other options begin to talk back to the lie of um, enlightenment masculinity. You don't believe in gender roles? I believe, so So here's the thing. In the 1500s, philosophers like Rene Descartes begin to divide the world into two. And they begin to divide it into um, mind over physical, world over spiritual, and primarily objective truth versus subjective truth. And that line not only is about truth, but it also becomes about gender. And, and this is a unique moment because 500 years before that, we don't, we don't see gender in the same way. There's gender, but it doesn't play in the same kind of way. And in the Enlightenment, it begins to separate. And feminine becomes earthly. Feminine becomes holistic. Feminine becomes um, sciences like midwifery, herbalism, what Descartes accused of being too merged with the subject, whereas masculine things became math hard sciences, engineering, and the domination of nature. Francis Bacon, who is- Because they are masculine. <laughs> they're not though. That's a, that is a fundamental lie. Francis Bacon referred to the age, who's the father of the scientific method, referred to it as the birth of a truly masculine age. All of these things are huh. fictions that we have decided are true of the universe. But what I think is actually happening is the human person who's supposed to be both of these things has been subdivided into two. Masculinity has been turned into some kind of weird, monstrous fiction, and now it's coming undone. Okay, wait, all wait a minute. Who, wait a minute. You said a lot of things there. Yeah. And I know you weren't done. That's okay. I can stop. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. It's probably good. I, I just, there are things, that, and, and I think everybody's going to be mad at me when I say this. There are things that I just am able to do easier than say my wife is for example reach higher things because i'm taller lift heavier things because i'm stronger does that mean she can't take out the trash or get things with like that that are that i can easily get no but is there is there any kind of like what does that mean 
I mean, do we not sure. ha- like 500 years ago? Was that because in the Enlightenment period we realized that there were gender roles, and that before then we didn't? Is Dostoevsky wrong? Well, I would say we there was roles that were played, sure. But like we often think about history as being like brutal and barbaric in a way that like men have always ruled or men have always operated the way they do. And that is just not true. Men were far more open to what we would classify now as like feminine expressions in Mm. the past. There was plenty of matriarchal societies throughout history, not just patriarchal societies. Mm. And and, and, And here's what I would specifically say is that things that we consider strictly male today. So, um, like intense energy, this like testosterone fueled rage that needs to be put somewhere productive, that needs to be put towards achieving, that needs to be put towards conquering. I don't think those things are essentially masculine. I actually think that that is a bifurcation of, of what it means to be human. And that's why dudes are so jacked up because we removed all the balancing forces of us and said that they were feminine. And all we curated in young men was um, violent energy and said, that's what it means to be human. And that's what it means to be man. And actually we just lost what it meant to be human. Now you've just really confused me because like I was thinking, you know, I like to open the door for my wife and it makes me feel like a real man. I like to, like when she's feeling bad, I like to save her. Of course, I guess she likes to save me when I'm feeling bad too, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just a product of all this enlightenment period bullshit you're talking about too. And I just, I'm messed up because I'm a sensitive (laughs) guy. I write songs. I like flowers, but I also curse. And I, I, I like to break things sometimes. Not on purpose. Sometimes like I just, (laughs) you know, like I feel the testosterone. I feel the, the man inside me welling up. And so sometimes like when it's like, you can't be that, I'm like, well, I am that. Sure. I, that's true. You are those things. But what I think what you've also just named is that you are also so many other things beyond what society would often classify as like prototypical man and women experience and women and, and all peoples on the gender spectrum experience the things that you just said. Those are not exclusively, quote unquote, male attributes. They are human attributes. Like, my, for example, my wife gets angrier than I ever will. That's mm. not my go-to emotion. Mm. Yeah, sure. I'm stronger than she is physically, but I do not get angry and I don't go to breaking things, right? <laughs> That's not how I experience it. That's not how I, like, and so does Heather, my co-pastor. She goes to anger way faster than I do. That's just, I go to sad. Uh, that's, I, and annoyed. Those are my experiences when mm. something bad happens. So that, and I only say that because gender is a spectrum in this sense. But we want to, we want to classify attributes, virtues, experiences so dramatically to one gender, but they're human experiences and human emotions that we're all experiencing in different ways. Wow. Well, everyone, thank you for listening to the Christian (laughs) Surge Therapy Session by Johnny Morrison. I really appreciate it. I feel, I don't know what I feel. I'm so confused now on what a real man is supposed to do. I'm just going to go with the way I think. And I hope that everybody can go out there and have real empathy and meet with people 
and not follow a celebrity pastor. Can we agree on that, Johnny? A hundred percent. hundred percent. If the thing that you guys have discerned, you and Ana together, is helping you both flourish, I, that's a good place to begin and a good place to grow from. Well, thank you. Hey, everyone, you leave us a review. Share this with your friends. It's real easy. SmartGuyDumbGuy.com. That'll get you there. As always, thanks for listening. And please let us hear from you. Keep having those conversations, people. Thanks for listening again. Thanks, everybody. have been listening to a smart guy and a dumb guy production a podcast exploring culture current events and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum see you next time